Good morning. Uh, this morning's uh, scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as a way to start centering yourself for this passage to start thinking about this in a meaningful way. What I'd like you to do, I'd like you to imagine something. I'd like you, not really imagine, picture something. I'd like you to think of one of your friends or somebody you interact with uh, who has faith questions. So I'd like you to actually try to picture somebody that you know. It could be a close friend. It could be somebody you work with, somebody you recreate with, somebody, you know, whatever circle it would be. But try to think of somebody, not necessarily that's like antagonistic towards Christianity, but has questions about faith. Um, maybe they used to follow Jesus and don't anymore. Maybe they never have. But particularly questions around Christianity. And here's what I'd like you to just honestly um, try to, this is maybe imagine if you haven't heard from them. Where is it, what are, this is what I'd ask, what are the biggest questions they have about Christianity? If you think about people you have conversations with, what are the big questions people have? As you pay attention um, I would say for me, the two that are most consistently, and I'm not saying this is across the board, it's just in the conversations I'm in, one that doesn't have anything to do with this, but I hear a lot. In fact, it's not necessarily specifically a Christian question. It's just a faith question in general. But probably more than any other question I hear is, if there's a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Uh, I, I can't even count how many conversations or just sitting with somebody. So that's a big one, not trying to kind of step into that one today. But I hear that one a lot. The other one, at least for me personally, that I hear more often than any other one is some version of this question. They don't always use the question exclusive, but it's, it revolves around this. The other consistent question I would hear from somebody is, why does Jesus say he's the only way to God? Or why does Christianity make that claim that you have to know Jesus to get to God? Right, there's so many viable pathways, so many spiritual pathways. Why is it that Jesus talks of himself as the way to God? Can you, I'm sure you've heard this at some level before, right, from people. Um, I think that's good to have in mind as we step into this day, because I would say this, and I'm going to read again, I'm going to read, not again, in a moment, John 14, that the, the two passages where Jesus most clearly talks about himself as the pathway to God would be this, in Matthew 11, um, and then in John's account, chapter 14, in this that was just read, it ends with that famous imagery of all weary and heavy laden coming to Jesus, finding rest. That's such a beautiful part, too. Um, Christine did a great sermon on that in May. I'm not going to focus on that part. We're going to focus on the front part of this conversation Jesus is having about how he knows the Father and Jesus reveals God to us. And just to put it in, if you want to flip over, actually I have it on the screen too, but if you want to flip over, I do want to read this other place where Jesus talks so directly about himself being the pathway to God. And I want to kind of have each of these texts kind of on one side of each of our ears as we're kind of listening to what Jesus might be sharing with us when he talks about this. So here, this is John 14. Uh, this comes right after 13, obviously, but in 13, Jesus is with the disciples in the upper room, and it finishes with him talking about what is to come. So here's what, I want to read these first seven verses of John 14. Jesus says to his disciples, 
do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And here's where Jesus famously answers. This verse gets interacted with in so many different spaces. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All right, so two places, Jesus says it in a little bit of a different way in each place in Matthew 11, John 14. But I actually do want us to be, I want us to be connected to the discomfort of it before trying to find the life and the comfort of it. This is not only a question people outside the faith have. This is, I, have I have talked to so many folks who sincerely and joyfully follow Jesus and yet still struggle with this question. Why does Jesus talk like this? Why does Jesus talk himself as the path? Why did, and, and people run with this and turn it into this very exclusive, superior, better than kind of version, right? So we know that's out there, right? We know there's a distorted way. Hopefully you know that's a distorted, but we know there's a distorted way to hear this as Jesus kind of powering up on everybody and saying, you have to get it just right. It's just me. It, it, it's this answer or else, you know, you're going to burn in hell or however, however else it would go. All right, so we know there's a, an uncomfortable, disorienting way to view this, right? So now here's the question, and I, I want to just kind of move quick because I do think we have to think through this a little bit because it's been... Um, misused, I think, but I want to get to the place where we're not just seeing this in a different way. I, 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 I almost would go so far as this, this is, I, I'll just say, I'll use me language. For me, this is one of the most powerful depictions of how God works in our lives is how we see this. And so it's one of the reasons why I think there's so much uh, danger in the way this gets misaligned because it takes us away from like incredible beauty. So Let's flip it now. Let's say, okay, we know for a lot of people, they would see this in an uncomfortable, exclusive kind of way. What is it that Jesus is actually graciously inviting us to, whether you read it in Matthew 11 or read it in John 14? Here's the first thing, and if, if for those of you who kind of really enjoy kind of jumping into the passage, I'd invite you to flip back and forth between Matthew 11 John 14. Here's one thing that I, I don't know why we miss this, but this is so important. This is the two places where Jesus talks about this most clearly, that he is the path to God. He is the way to God. In both cases, Matthew 11 and John 14, the people Jesus is speaking to are riddled with fear and anxiety. When Jesus says these words, he is speaking to people who are literally riddled with fear and anxiety. And so this is the interesting kind of flip-flop of this passage. For a lot of us, as we've heard this, this passage itself creates anxiety and fear. Jesus talking about himself as the pathway to God. For Jesus, it was exactly the opposite of that. Jesus was speaking to people who are riddled with fear, and this was meant to be a source of tremendous comfort. All right, Matthew 11, the passage that's the lectionary passage today that we're in. And Matthew 11, if you go to the top of that, you'll remember that what this whole chapter is about is Jesus' response to John the Baptist who was faithful all the, way to, all the way to the end to proclaim and to be a forerunner to Jesus. And John the Baptist gets thrown in prison, and he's pretty aware of the fact he's probably going to die in prison. And in fact, he is going to die. He's going to be beheaded. It's going to be a gruesome end to his life. So at the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is starting to lose heart a little bit. And he's, he starts to wonder, I mean, he said, I gave everything for this Jesus. I'm starting to wonder, is this Jesus the one I was sure he was? So he sends 
a message to Jesus, is this really the Messiah? And so all of chapter 11 is Jesus answering this question of who he is. And so it's interesting to consider the fact that to a troubled John the Baptist and those who were following Jesus through John's message, part of how Jesus brings comfort to John and to others is talking about how he is the one who brings revelation of God to people. Okay, I, right? So this passage isn't meant to create anxiety. It's meant to calm anxiety. It's not meant to instill or elicit fear. It's meant to calm fear. You see, you see that? It's even more explicit in John 14. You saw the opening words of that. It's our, do not let your hearts be troubled. Right? The disciples are now coming face to face with the fact that Jesus is going to die soon and that they are going to be left alone and they're understandably freaked out, right? They are freaked out. So much of, you know, there's this big interchange just before this with Peter who says, I'll never let this happen. And, you know, there's the whole story of, you know, what that represents. But the idea being here, the disciples are terrified as they're trying to make sense of what's going to happen. And it's in response to that fear, in response to that anxiety, that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. This is how you come to the Father through me. Right? So Jesus was not ever seeing these words as something that would bring anxiety or bring discomfort or bring fear. It actually speaks to anxiety, speaks to discomfort, speaks to fear. You see You see. You see how important that kind of flip-flop is. So whenever somebody takes away from this passage, a way of talking about God that actually creates discomfort and fear and anxiety, I think they're missing what Jesus is trying to say. That's the first kind of pass I would do with this, all right? Second pass, and the third one is we're going to like try to really go deep in and kind of put ourselves in the story. But let's, let, let's do a second pass here. If Jesus is meaning these words, talking about himself as the revelation of God, talking himself as the path, talking about himself as the way to life, talking about himself as the way to God, how is it that that is meant to bring calmness, stillness of heart? He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? So if this is a way to untrouble our hearts, how is it that these words can untrouble our hearts? There's probably a lot of different ways we could say this, but I'm going to, this is just kind of testimonial. This, I, I actually would be, those of you, especially in your 20s, I'd be really curious what you would say, like, the big theological question of your time is. For me, when I was in my 20s, this was the big theological question. For people that didn't follow Jesus, this notion that Jesus would talk about himself as the pathway to God, that was, like, the big question that people wrestled with. And so there was an author and speaker who was so helpful for me. His name was Brian McLaren. It is Brian McLaren. And McLaren had this ability to kind of create safe space for people who had questions about faith and questions and doubts and some who were Christians and had doubts, some who weren't Christians and, and, and were plagued with doubt. And so he would host these um, gatherings, and uh, people really would come, those who were just, you know, really wrestling with doubts. And this would come up so often. But the time it really stuck, I remember he was holding probably 30 people there, just having this conversation with folks. Somebody, again, sincerely said, they said, I want to believe in Jesus, but it's so troubling to me that Jesus says he's the only pathway to God, that he's the, he is the way that we have to go through to come to know God. This is, what the, this is what the person said, Brian McCarran. The person said, how can God actually be loving but then only have one pathway? Like that feels like the opposite of love. How can you be loving and then say you only have one pathway? And I was a sincere follower of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But I had the same question, so I was curious how McLaren would answer. And it was so beautiful how McLaren answered. McLaren said, you know, I hear that. I respect that. But let me, let me check in from my perspective. If God truly is a God of love, which I believe God is, how could God not create a clear pathway? And this person like, okay, say more. And so here's what McLaren said that just always stuck with me. He started intellectual but then went very hard. Why? He said, he, said he said, for one, you know, people will say all paths lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe. He said, but I think any of us who are honest believe and understand that's not actually true, 
right? If you talk to somebody who's a devout follower of, of Islam and say that your religion is the same as Buddhism, both the Buddhist and the person who follows Islam are going to say, no, they're not the same. Uh, if you'd say, if you'd look at an ancient religion where you had to sacrifice your children in order to appease the gods, nobody's going to say that's the same pathway to God, right? That, that's actually not true to say all pathways lead to God in the same way. He said, but even more than that, even, for, even if you just put it in our current context, he said there are so many ugly distortions of how people talk about God, right? Um, people describe God in a way that's tyrannical, that's exclusive, that favors one group and disfavors another group. He said, here's, what, here's an exercise I often think about. If you're God and you're looking down at your people and you say, oh my goodness, I want them to know me and I want them to know my love, but they have so many confusing messages that they have to sort through, right? How is it that my beloved children will actually find their way to me, to the true me, to the expansive kind of me? I can kind of pause there for a moment. John 14, one of the reasons I love John 14 so much, I don't go too much into this, but when Jesus is talking about, um, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, Jesus describes the presence of God in all these spacious kinds of terms, right? You get these different kinds of translations. Some say, I've got a mansion, it's got many rooms. But the way that Jesus describes the presence of God in John 14 is this expansive, beautiful, life-giving, abundant kind of a reality to be in God's presence. And so going back to McLaren's exercise, if God is saying, I, I mean, th- my, my, my presence is huge, but lots of people want to make their way to me and are going to get lost on the way because there's so many confusing messages. And more than confusion, some of them are distorted. And if people will fo- follow that distorted vision of God, they're going to end up all crooked inside, even in their sincerity, because they're following God that is not representative of who I am. So McLaren said this, if you're God and you love your people and you want them to find their way to yourself, to God, how do you do that? Well, that's a pretty interesting question to think about, isn't it? And so McLaren said, I think it's so freeing that God didn't write a list of, you have to believe this, 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 and this, or else, right? You have to, you've described it just exactly like this. He didn't give a body, of, a, a, a body of principles or a document. God said, the way you can know who I am is seeing an actual human being, that there will be a human being that comes from the heavens, that is God, that shows the fullness of who God is. Clarence says, I know that doesn't answer every single question, but for me, that is tremendously freeing, tremendously loving of God to say, every time you feel like you're lost, every time you don't know how to make sense of something difficult in the world, look at me, enfleshed, incarnated, in human form, so you can see what I'm like and know how to find your way back to me. That Jesus is, I don't know if it's disrespectful to say it, but Jesus is almost like a bread trail back to God that it's this reference point we can always come back to, to find God. I don't know if that helps you as much as it helps me, but that was actually literally life-changing for me because every time I get stuck on that question, Jesus is the way, again, I'd say, no, that voice inside of me that, that hears, and it usually was an angry old white man, that this voice inside of me that hears an angry old white man say, it's either Jesus or nothing, and the spirit that comes behind that, I don't think that's anything of what Jesus was saying. I think what Jesus is saying is God wants you to know the true God to experience liberation, life, freedom, love in the presence of God. And God is so committed to that that God has created this clear signal, this clear compass, this clear light to show us the way to God. You tracking with me on that, on, the, on, on that as a way to think about it? Now, I'm kind of going through that fast because what I want to get to is 
it's the same thing. But now I want to, I want to get like really personal on this. All right. In fact, uh, let, let, let me tell you what I'm going to try to do here. I've got this quote that I've been ruminating on this week, um, and we've been kind of doing this lately. But this help explain it. One of my friends is a pastor in New York, Rich Velotis. He he wrote this um, tweet where he said, one of the reasons I love the Pentecostal tradition, if you don't know that word, I don't know, I'm not going to try to explain that right now, um, but believe deeply in the movement of the Spirit. Let's just shorten it like that. He said, one of the reasons I love the Pentecostal tradition is because Pentecostals believe that when people come together as a community, there's an, uh, there, there's an opportunity for God to show up in a communal space that's really unique to being together in community. So one of the reasons I love the contemplative tradition, right, this would be those, you know, that come from the streams of, like, uh, you know, really pursuing spiritual consciousness, seeing God, seeing what God sees, um, really being attuned to that. Uh, um, forgive me if those were bad definitions. That's in the moment. My, my best shot at that. He said, one of the reasons I love the contemplative tradition is because it believes that if you create stillness and space, there's a possibility that God can really move in that space. And I said, I thought to myself, amen, I really am Pentecostal in that way. Amen, I really am contemplative in that. And I actually want to do, I want to, I want to do the best of both of those. I really think there's something to be said for in a group where we create some stillness and reflect and listen that God can really move. And so I want to spend a little bit longer in prayer time, but here's how I want to set it up, um, why I think this is such a powerful, I did want to address where I think this goes off the rails, where people see this as this really hyper-exclusive, hyper-powered up kind of way of talking about Jesus. Now, now that we see how Jesus talks about it in Matthew 11, how, how Jesus talks about it in John chapter 14, here's how I've come to personalize it for myself. Um, here's what I actually, I think at the deepest level, remember, Jesus is speaking to people who are troubled, who are anxious, who are scared. Here is what I think Jesus wants to hear. If I can take a little bit of license and just put my own words on, here's what I think Jesus wants to hear. Jesus wants each one of us to hear, God loves you so much. I guess this isn't my words. This is what it says in John 3, 16, right? God loves you so much that God sent Jesus into the world, right? But here's where it becomes just so fierce for me. Jesus sent, God sent Jesus into the world. Not Yes, it is this, to be a light, to be a lamp, to be a pathway. But I think it goes deeper than that. Jesus is often described as the good shepherd, right? God sent Jesus into this world to come get you. If I put it in my words, God sent Jesus into the world to come get me. Now, that's not always comforting for everybody where you're at, but once you're oriented towards you want that, I think it's really good news. So part one, and this is two-part, part one, God sent Jesus into the world to come get me. And sometimes that's a gentle showing me the way. As a shepherd, sometimes I think I need to be grabbed by the neck and brought to where I need to go. But God sent Jesus to come get me, but that's not even all of it. This is why I love John 14. Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going into God's presence to prepare a place for you which I want you to think for a moment on how personal that is, right? I am going to prepare a place for you, right? It's also true in a general way. God's inviting all of God's children into this. That's, it's not to the expense of that. But Jesus is very personal. I am going to prepare a place for you. And so when I put this together, it's a two-part good news for me. What it says to me is God has come to, I'm going to use me language first, but then turn to you. God has come to get me and Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me now. Yes, in heaven as well. But now that the activity of Jesus in my life, he's coming to get me, and he's coming to bring me to the place that he has prepared for me. He has come to get me, and he has come to prepare a place and to bring me to that place. And when I allow myself in prayer to actually visualize this, right, and of course, you know how much I love the story of the prodigal son, like, Usually, my part in this is I'm running, 
God's part in this is he sends Jesus to come grab me and show me what it is I'm trying to run towards. Even though my instinct is all mixed up and I run away from it. It's like, no, no, this is what you want. And I've, it's not even just a general body of truth. I have prepared this place in God's presence, in this spacious, expansive, abundant presence for you. For you. And this is where some of the language of Matthew 11 is, 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 is so beautiful. For one, Matthew 11 starts, Jesus says, this is not for the learned and the wise. Which sounds funny at first, because you're like, shouldn't we be learning? Shouldn't we be wise? Well, of course, that's not the point. He's actually warning against the very things that we often do with these passages, where we turn it into this, you have to know just the right answer. You have to have just the right stance. She's like, no, no, that, you're missing the point. When I talk about me being the one who brings the revelation of God to you, this is not for the learned and the wise. What does Jesus say in Matthew 11? He says, this is for little children. And so as we get ready to kind of spend a little bit of time in prayer and thought on this, think of, the, we just saw Natalia up here when we were praising, when we were praying for the family, right? Think of the way a little child, right? A little child, when they're with loved adults, they're not overthinking things, right? Uh, it, it's vulnerability, it's openness, it's trust, it's surrender, things that are actually pretty scary to do. And as an adult, you learn sometimes for good reason not to do those because you've been hurt by people. But Jesus says this revelation doesn't come to the learned and the wise. It comes to those who are like little children. So it's like the first orientation I invite you to as we kind of get ready to spend a little bit of time in prayer and reflection on this. What does it mean to show up to this reality, not as somebody who's overthinking it, though we try to do that part too, but who hears and responds to the invitation of the Jesus who's come to get you and bring you into the presence of God to respond and hear to it like little children. And then where it ends, of course, there's many meanings to this, to, 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 the, to the way this can play out. But I want you to think about this famous, this famous ending in 11 when Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Clearly from, the, from this, included in that is Jesus saying to, here's how I would say it in my words, to not understand that God has come to get you, to not surrender to the Jesus who's trying to bring you into God's presence will create a deep tiredness inside of your soul. There is a weariness in moving in this world without knowing at a deep level that you are beloved, that you are sought after, that you are, in a, again, very personal. I believe so much in community too. I'm not doing these in, in, in contest with each other. But I really do want to let, let the personal nature of this set, settle in. Jesus says to those 12 apostles, I'm preparing a place for you, not just for people in general, for you. I think what we could take from Matthew 11 is that when we don't have a deep sense of rest in knowing that God not only loves us in a generic, general way, that God has come to get us, and that God is preparing a place that for eternity we will uh, embrace and, and delight in. But that starts now, right? Jesus says, I'm preparing this place for you, and I'm bringing you into it. When Jesus says in Matthew 11, when Jesus says, come to me, all who are, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, I think that's a big part of what he's saying, that, that your soul is not at rest until it really understands and not just an intellectual way, though I think that's important too, but where your heart and soul understand, right? Um, I really like the way that he, I, I like the way that he says this. Um, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Um, in verse 29, Jesus says, come and you'll find rest for your souls. All right, so those are the two orientations I want to invite you to consider. Children, 
what does it mean to come and hear this as a child? But I want you to think of those words in Matthew 11, that your soul needs rest. Right? We know our bodies need rest. We know, we know that. For, but our souls need rest. And there's something about this notion of Jesus being the one who reveals the pathway to God that is actually all tied up with our souls being at rest. You following what I'm saying here? So no more heavy thinking. No more. What I want to do now is I want to do this. I want to bring these two together. We believe when a group comes together, the spirit can move. When we create space and silence, we believe the spirit can move. So this is going to just be a little bit of an extended prayer time. So I want to invite you, however you want to position yourself. You can just simply close your eyes. You can bow your heads. You can stand if you need to. You can kneel. But I want to spend a good five minutes or so here um, just uh, creating space for us to hear this. So join me in prayer virtually in, in this room, however kind of makes most sense for you. And so, Lord, Lord Jesus, or as you teach us to pray, our Father, our divine parents, we now position ourselves and posture ourselves to come into your presence and to really, really try to be still long enough to actually listen and hear. So I'm going to just do some guided kind of thoughts, and you can follow along with me. You don't need to follow along if you've got something that God is saying to you, but let's just kind of make our way through this and just invite God into our space. So God, I want to start. A, a, a lot of us have been taught or conditioned to think of these words of you as the revelation of God in some kind of a way that's scary, that's exclusive, that's about power, that's about positioning who's right and who's wrong, who's in, who's out. And before we can even get to the beauty of this, I feel like some of us just need to be freed from that, maybe even healed from that. So as you're praying with me, this might not be all of you, but for some of you, you, you kind of got messed up a little bit by some of the ways you've heard that. So maybe just take a moment to let God free us from the ways that this invitation from God has been used for purposes very different than what Jesus was trying to say. even as we're all in such different places on our journey in this space right now, what we're bringing, what we need, we collectively now come to you and try to hear the profound invitation from you. First, God, we think about the reality of a triune God, a God that is over human history, creator God. And we think about the fact that this God wants us, each one of us, to see you, to know you, to have the chance to respond to you without getting all hooked up and distracted by the distorted versions of who you are. So God, at the first stop on this prayer meditation, I'm just going to invite us to reflect on creator God and see if we can trust that this is your heart, that you long for us to see you clearly and to know the expansiveness of your presence, of being at home with you. Let's just take a moment. Can, are you able to trust that this is God's intention? Can you trust that it's more than God's intention, it's God's desire, that God would be known to you, that you would have 
access and confidence to step into God's presence with nothing holding you back. I want to just maybe even, maybe you can even verbally visualize listening, hearing the voice of God saying, I want, I already know you. I want you to know me. I long for you to know me. Let's just sit in that for a moment. Can we hear that voice? Can can we trust that voice? This is where I think that being personal is really important. This is where I think, let me just tell you what I'm hearing. I'm I'm allowing myself to hear God call me by name. Daniel, I want you to know me. Are you able to hear God call you by name? this next part. Let's think about Jesus. And I think we have to like really open ourselves up to be able to get here. But I want you to picture the whole thing, that the God of the universe looked down at God's beloved and said, we have got to be one of them if they're going to truly see who we are. So God enters into the flesh in the person of Jesus. And that Jesus dies for us, that Jesus resurrects. Now, this is, this is where I think it takes us into the deep soul kind of rest, that soul work. Can you trust that God, not only in this general kind of way, can you trust that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who is now at the right hand of God, can you trust that Jesus, the good shepherd, that that Jesus is trying to come get you? If you can open yourself up in this in prayer, what does it feel like to have Jesus, the great shepherd, trying to come get you right now? What do you picture? Is that scary that Jesus is trying to come get you? It's not meant to be, but it might be where we start. Does it reassure you? Does it remind you that something so much bigger and more powerful is advocating, is working for you, is coming to get you? I I just would like, for as much as you can stretch on this one, what does it look like that Jesus, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, has come to get you? And then I'm going to invite you to look the other way. I'm going to invite you to think of those words in John 14 where Jesus says, I have gone to prepare a place for you. What does it feel like to look at the Jesus who's trying to lead you by the hand into the presence of God? I know there's so many things that get in the way That's so much of what the Christian journey is, the spiritual journey is. What are the things that make it, is is it doubt? 
Is it that you're not worthy? Is that he gets certain kind of people, but he doesn't come get you? But can you, can you hear the voice of the one who calls you to take him by the hand? He says, I prepare a place for you. You're not exempt from this. The God of all of human history loves you, has come to get you, and that Jesus is trying to lead you into the place that has been prepared for you. Ah. Let's take the imagery that John, that Jesus uses in Matthew 11 when Jesus says, I've come to reveal this to little children. This one, this is a, this, I think there's power in these if we can do them. Can you see yourself, you've probably seen yourself as an, if you're an adult, or you've probably seen yourself as the age you are when you're picturing these things. Now, can you picture hearing all this as a little child, little you? Think of yourself as a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old. It stirs something deep in me to imagine little Danny hearing the words of God say, I've come to get you. Of hearing the words of a good shepherd who protects me even as so many harsh things happen, knowing that Jesus was still there leading me into the presence of God. Hmm. I'm moving toward the end of this, but I'd invite you. What does it feel like to be little you, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old you, to hear these words? thing I would invite you to reflect on. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary, all who are carrying these burdens. Maybe you can just take a moment, come back to you in this point of life right now. If you just let yourself name and set before the good shepherd those things that are making you tired right now, those things that feel burdens, like burdens right now. Just give yourself a moment to name those and bring those into the presence of God. Your health challenges, anxieties around money, relational conflicts, inner turmoil of your own spirit and soul, hurts and pains that just seem to always be almost omnipresent. As you allow yourself just in the in the personal connection between you and God in this moment, as you allow yourself to see those hurts, see those burden, see those worries, see those things that bring not only physical fatigue, but soul fatigue. Jesus says he has come to get us. He has come to bring us into the place he's prepared. We know that doesn't always make the troubles we carry vanish, 
we still live in the real world. But maybe something about knowing the nearness of God in this, something about knowing that even as you hold all these things, that Jesus has carved out, that Jesus prepared a place within God's presence for these things to be held in a way that doesn't break you, that your soul can find rest even as you carry heavy things. Well, dear God, as we kind of bring to a conclusion this exercise of just creating space and trying to listen and hear the voice of God who comes after us and leads us into your presence. As we now prepare to respond in worship, I pray that even as we do get wiser and learn and study, that there not only remains, but we rediscover that innocent, unprotected place, that childlike place that can open ourselves to the invitation, to the promise that you make that you have come for us and that you have prepared a place for us, that you're not just vaguely available to us, that your heart bleeds, that we would know who you are and that we would dance in the presence, in the prepared places for us that our God has designed. I believe with all my heart that this is what brings our souls rest. Help us find that rest, we pray. Amen. Hannah, could you bring up the first uh, slide of the words from that, um, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, that one. We started this medley with singing these words. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone. I feel like just in the same way you could hear a passage like Jesus saying, revelation of God on the pathway to God. You can hear that in a way that creates anxiety or in a way that brings comfort. This may just be my story, but I I feel like a lot of times when I sing a song like this, it feels like this, like, yes, I give you everything, God. I know you want this and you want this and you want this. And there's all these things that I kind of want to stay in possession of, but I have to give them to you. And there's this kind of reluctant, difficult, high surrender kind of thing. And I'm not saying there's not surrender at all, but I think when you think about lyrics like this through the lens of what we read today. When we sing, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I think there's another way to hear those, another way to say those, another way to feel those, where we say, when I'm in possession of these things, I'm lost. When I'm the one charged with taking care of my soul, I know where that's going to go. Unease, anxiety, fatigue, difficulty, questions, trusting, that the one who's created us, the one who knows what we most need, that when we say, I live for you alone, I give you possession of my life, yes, there's surrender, but it's not surrender like these are a bunch of good things that I can no longer have. It's more like surrender of a little child who surrenders to their loving parent. That's a very different kind of surrender, isn't it? So I invite you to rise for our closing benediction. John 14 for this. 
Maybe you'd say you have hearts that are troubled. Maybe you wouldn't. But when our hearts are troubled, Jesus says, don't let those hearts be troubled. There's four words in John 14 that I've just been reflecting on all week. Jesus says, I've gone to my father's house. I'm preparing a place for you. And here's the four words. I will come and I'm going to take you with me. Those are the four words I've been reflecting on. I'm going to take you with me. And so we have thought on, prayed on, sat with many things today, but that would be the final thing I would invite you to remember, that Jesus isn't just vaguely available to you, that if you so desire, Jesus will take you with him. That's what he wants to do. That's what he longs for. He will take you with him. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.